All right, everybody, welcome back to the Norwood Noise Podcast, episode number 16 here from lovely Cincinnati, Ohio. Graham and I are together once again. Got a new episode and a a big story coming at you this week uh, here on uh, Tuesday, as people have been calling it, Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. Um, so lots of twos here today, but big story to lead us off. Graham, why don't you hit us? What's 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 the elephant in the room for for college basketball this week? Well, wherever you went for your college basketball news or any discussion you had, it's most likely that the name Jawan Howard came up uh, right after a crushing defeat uh, by at the hand of Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, as coaches and players got in a little bit of a heated uh, scuffle at the handshake line, uh, which has led to a lot of debates about uh, coaching etiquette, player etiquette, uh, pre, post game, um, and you know debates about uh, is Juwan Howard even right for the job? It even comes down to after they've struggled this season. Um, if you wanted to kind of like ever just like kind of give us a little breakdown of what. We know there's a few things that are still up in the air about what was said or why things were said, why yeah. things were done. But for the most part, what can you give us? Um, absolutely. I, so I actually was watching the game live, and it was pretty funny because I was ready to transition. I was ready to get off because – and so this was the 1 o'clock time slot, on 1 o'clock Eastern time on, on Sunday. And there were a couple other games going on, a couple other notable games. Um, Providence was in a overtime battle against uh, Butler, which I – completely missed because of this like I just wasn't even paying attention to the fact that that was going on Providence came back from 19 down to eventually win that game in Hinkle Fieldhouse and uh, Houston was on the road at Wichita State and they went to double overtime which I ended up catching the end of only because the scuffle ended and I saw that this other game was on I I pulled it up but again point being I, I missed some other endings because as it's coming down to the end of it so there was a little bit of debate um Juwan Howard, with less than a minute left, was was had his guys playing man-to-man press, which is debatable on whether or not it's – people have been saying, oh, yeah, he was full-court pressing. I don't know if you can necessarily say he was, like, full-court pressing simply because that would, you know, entice the mind to think, like, okay, so he's got, like, a zone going out there. He's got four guys on their end of the court, that kind of thing. No, it was just a man-to-man. He had one guy up there guarding their, their backup point guard, which is a good point that uh, – that, Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard made. So yeah, there was a there was some Greg Gard was not very happy about the decision to press with with I think it was like less than thirty seconds left. So Gard in turn took a timeout to reset the ten second rule, which is actually hilarious because that was a rule change that just came this year. Mm-hmm. That if t- if a timeout is called, it resets the ten seconds on getting the ball over over half court. And there was a lot of debate on or, or commentary basically saying that. You know, coaches may not even know about that rule change or how that works, whatever. Clearly, I don't think clearly, but Juwan may not have known about that rule change, and and that was probably definitely a contributing factor as to why Greg Gard called the timeout to reset it. Um, But I think Howard saw it as kind of a disrespectful move uh, by Gard to call a timeout with such little time left on the clock, up 12 or 15 or whatever they're up. So point being, again, you can see both sides of it. I see where the frustration was absolutely building there. So then I think a little bit of retaliation right when um, Wisconsin inbounds the ball. After the timeout, Michigan fouls. Wisconsin goes down and shoots free throws. And Michigan gets the ball back. Time runs out. Game's over. As the, <laughs> as the broadcast is wrapping up, as the producers at CBS are 
quickly trying to get to the final round of the Genesis Open at, at Riviera Country Club out in L.A. They're like, they've got the outro music playing. they got the credits rolling. They're, I mean, they are trying to get out of Madison, Wisconsin. Um, credit to uh, the commentary on the game from CBS. They were all over it. They were like, hey, you know, this game's there, – there's something going on here. Like, mm-hmm. um, they were talking about how John Howard wasn't getting in – wasn't getting in the handshake line, um, so credit to CBS for staying there. Um, but yeah, they were like, "All right, you know, he, he's not getting in the line. You know, he's not getting in the handshake line." And as you kind of see it unfold, they're like, "All right, now, you know, now he's um, now he's getting in the handshake line. You know, he's, he's falling, and they're they're following him as he's getting in the handshake line." Juwan Howard is, and the second he gets to Greg Gard, he goes for the blow by. He goes for the, you know, hey, I'm gonna remember that. Maybe maybe a half handshake, maybe diss the handshake, keep walking. Greg Gard does a, a, saw a really solid defensive slide uh, to get in front of him. Get puts both hands on him, and uh, from some further video that's come out from from someone in the in the you know closer to him, Juwan said multiple times. I'm not going to say it for obviously um, explicitive reasons, but don't effing touch me. Essentially, multiple times over and over again. Gard did not listen to that. <laughs> So I think at that point, um, when the players following Juwan are seeing this and then the players from the Wisconsin side are starting to come up to kind of defend him, you know, Juwan is kind of thinking, like, all right, he didn't take his hands off me. Like, it's on. Mm -hmm. Um, Juwan gets pushed away. Guard kind of gets separated. You see they kind of move to the side, and they look like they're kind of starting about to go their own ways. Then, you know, as both the benches kind of crowd around this area, Wisconsin assistant Joe Krabinoff says something that made Jawan Howard snap his head around. And he turned around, and the minute Krabinoff said something, we still don't know what that was, and it's really frustrating. I think I don't know if we ever will know what he said. Um, he didn't comment in the media. He was given the opportunity to multiple times. He hasn't said anything. But he said something that made Howard snap his head around. And he came back and hit him with a right mush, open hand, side of the hand, kind of slap deal. Um, fairly forceful, but nothing, you know, that was going to cause significant damage. Uh, but enough to for a full-on melee to break out. Um, the players' security kind of get Howard out of there and both the coaches out of there, and then the players start to go at it for a minute, and then it pretty quickly dissipates. Um, but, yeah, so it was a it was a, a jarring moment for sure um, when I watched it unfold. Um, not something I expected out of John Howard, honestly. I think I I feel that he is a man that he kind of holds himself to a high level of character. Um, so a little shocking to see that out of him. Obviously a frustrating season. Um, so maybe just a lot of, you know, pent-up anger and frustration. A, a frustrating game, too. I mean, they're tied at half. It was close down the stretch. And then, you know, Giant Davis from Wisconsin just kind of pulled away. Um so again, just a little shocking, a little, you know, not not out of character. I'll, I'll put it that way. But as as that all wraps up, um, nothing out of uh, either the universities or uh, the conference on Sunday. Uh, late Monday, the Big Ten did come out and say that John Howard had been suspended five games, which equates to the rest of the regular season for the Michigan Wolverines and fined $40,000 for hitting uh, Wisconsin assistant Joe Krabinoff uh, in the face. And then Greg Gard, the Wisconsin coach, was also fined $10,000 uh, for violating the sportsmanship policy but not suspended. Um, Krabinoff is not expected to receive punishment, which I think is a little interesting. Um, 
I, I, obviously we don't know what he said, so I don't really know if you can give him punishment. Um, but do a little more, a little more research on that, and maybe figure that out. Uh, and then Michigan forwards uh, Terrence Williams and Musa Diabate, uh, and then as well as uh, Wisconsin guard Jacob Neath, uh, also were all suspended one game for throwing some some full on punches there. So. I would say the Big Ten handled it well. I think they handled it as well as they could. Um, they did everything that they needed to, but nothing more. Um, I think the calls for Jawan Howard's job were a little ridiculous. Um, and I also think that calling for guard to be suspended was also ridiculous. I don't think he incited anything enough. I think the fine is totally fair. Um, I think the players each getting one game is right. Um, so I think the Big Ten handled this really well. Um, what I want to turn to you, though, is there's been a debate, and you kind of you kind of started to get at this. I've seen it on plenty of headlines this week. Um, should the post game handshake line be eliminated, Graham? Before I give you my take and you hear me talk more, I'm gonna let you uh, take it over, and, and I want to hear what you, your take yeah, on this. Before before I dive into that, I wanted to add that people have pointed out in some of the videos I've go, going around about this is as Jawad Howard is exclaiming to for no one to touch himself. Uh, he all has like guards like quarter zip like in his hands. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I just thought that that was quite funny. And it's easy for me to dislike him. I've never really liked Michigan, um, but <laughs> I mean, you are from Columbus. That's yeah, so full perspective. But at, at the same time, I just, I just think it's downright ridiculous. At the same time, I didn't know if five games was like a lot. I I would have been happy with like two or three. I, I just don't think that the aftermath didn't really – it didn't have any implications for, like, anyone's season. No one was hurt. No equipment was damaged. It was just, you know, bad sportsmanship and bad leading of young men. But I still don't think it was worth five games. But to get to the point of the handshake line, I just think that is ridiculous and – I have always been a fan of um, before the game. I think that players should either shake the ref's hands or give them a fist bump, and I also think that they should go to a coach. Now in a modern era where the intro intros are so long, I mean, take Xavier, for example. We have two intro videos and then a very long starting lineup announcement. So a lot of visiting coaches take that time to add extra game plans, psych the guys up, whatever they use that time for. So I understand if it's not the head coach, but I've always been a fan of once your name is called, you do your stuff with your team, you shake the three refs' hands, give them a fist bump, and then you go to the opposing bench, sign of respect. Yeah, and get then, someone to... And then after the game, I think that after everything is left on the floor, there's a time to show that you respect, even in rivalry games, you respect the person even the tiniest bit enough to either give them a handshake, fist bump, high five, whatever it ends up being. Um, I just think it gives more respect to the sport. Um, I mean, I don't think that we'll ever get to like the beautiful game of like soccer internationally where you're trading like the flags before the games or you're walking in with like children of the youth academy or just from the local school or whatever but in college basketball i think that it is completely fair and a normal uh, assumption to make that these guys should be able to after the game just 
the ounce of respect that's left in you to just give a handshake and then move on. Yeah. No, I think that was really well said, and I and I couldn't agree with you more. I think um, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. The the idea that we would ever eliminate the handshake line. I think I, it's honestly for a specific example. It's one of my favorite traditions in sports. At the end of every um, NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup playoff series, when after you've been playing these guys for between four and seven games, and you've really learned to hate some of these players. And I mean, get in. You know, we know hockey. Get in full-on brawls with these guys, and you still see both teams drop their gloves, take their helmets off, all of that, and go through and shake every single player's hand after that series. And seeing that, and seeing some of those players take time to give long, emotional—I don't want to say speeches, but you know, bits of encouragement, and things like that—I I think is really cool to see. So, putting all that aside. Basketball-wise, college basketball specifically, I agree with you. I don't think there's any reason that this should ever be eliminated. Um, I, I think, you know, it's kind of like it's the old adage of one bad apple doesn't ruin the whole batch. You know, right. you, you can't – one bad incident, I don't think that means that you should ever get rid of a great tradition and something that is, you know, really inspiring to a lot of people. So. Yeah, and, you know, like how football does at the end of games where you kind of just meet at half. And usually, you know, the two quarterbacks and the two coaches, it's a given that they'll talk. Right, exactly. Everyone else is kind of just like mixed. I think at college basketball where you have anywhere from 12, 13 to 17 guys on your bench and then, then your coaches, I think it's perfectly normal for them to walk in a straight line. It's right. not like – it's a force like kumbaya or like hey. sit down meal with the guys. Like I remember even when I played sports in high school and middle school, like I wouldn't even look at the kid. If a kid like had a <laughs> dirty foul on me, I just give him a high five and I move on. Right. Like I'm I'm certain that they could find, you know, the ounce in them to just yeah. move along. Absolutely. I think it's quite ridiculous that we would ruin something that respects our game. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because some people can't handle and don't have the courage to, you know, man up or be a bigger person and, you know, respect the game. I mean, if you even think about throughout history, like, when a player leaves the arena, it's always a big story. Mm -hmm. I mean, most notably, it's like when the Detroit Pistons, like, lost to, uh, the Bad Boy Pistons lost to, was it Celtics or the Bulls? I believe it was the Celtics. Yeah, I think it was the Celtics, and they yeah. just left the court instead mm-hmm. of like doing a handshake, and that was like such a big deal. But nowadays, we can't even like have the ounce of respect of a handshake line. I I just think that people are blowing something out of proportion just because they see one negative incident of it. Um, sorry, I'm checking this for you. I don't want to know. Oh no! You're right. It was the Bulls. It was because it was it was early in the Jordan era. It was before they ever won a title, but it was early on in the Jordan era. Anyways, um, alrighty. Well, we will first title year. Ninety one. Yeah. Or no. No. Ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, and then ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. Anyways, um, moving onward, uh, we'll leave it at that. I think that's I think that's all really well said, Graham, and I think that. Uh, yeah, I think those are all very good points. So, alrighty, moving onward, we'll run through this game recap real quick since we did spend a good amount of time on that. Um, but last week, last Wednesday, starting there, um, 
couple top teams secured some wins, but a couple upsets worth noting. Texas Tech, number 11 team in the country. I mean, quote-unquote quote an upset there. Um, beat number seven, Baylor, um, at the United Supermarkets Arena, so a good win for them. Uh, outscoring Baylor 51-34 to in the second half. Unbelievable performance there uh, from the Red Raiders. 83-73 win for them. They have six wins against uh, the top 16 um, that were revealed in the in the top 16 over the weekend from uh, the March or from the tournament committee. So Texas Tech really rolling has some really quality wins. Um, they're a really scary team, uh, you know, coming down the stretch here. Rutgers continue their hot streak, winning 70 to 59 over Illinois. Um, big big games uh, from a lot of guys, but Clifford Amari uh, from Rutgers really uh, kind of took the cake there with a big game, 15-13 and 13 with two blocks, um, nearly outshadowing, outshadowing Kofi Coburn, who had 20-10. and 10. Um, Really great game there at Rutgers, and another much-needed win as they rattled off four straight quad one victories, or four straight top 25 victories at that. So, Moving forward to Thursday, um, all very chalk on the evening slate there, um, and then nothing really noteworthy on Friday. St. John's blew the doors off Butler, 91-57. That was the only notable game on Friday. Saturday, uh, we had a, a decent slate. Um, most notably, Florida knocking off number two Auburn at the O'Connell Center. Uh, I, I don't think it was all that uh, shocking to me. Florida's playing for their tournament lives here. Um, Auburn kind of had a, a couple wishy-washy games on the stretch. Javari Smith leading the way for them at 28-7. Um, but I don't think anything to worry about for Auburn fans. I don't think anything... You know, too ridiculous to be freaked out about. Arizona picked up a big win um, at home against Oregon, 84-81. Um, so that flipped those two. Arizona now number two in the country and Auburn number three this this week. Kentucky kept Alabama at arm's length the whole time, 90-81. Good win for them. Kansas, same deal. Went on the road to Morgantown in West Virginia, 71-58. Good win for them there. Baylor wins by 10 against a TCU, which is a possible trap game, but they handled it well. Um, Duke took care of Florida State, 88-70. Um, Villanova took care of Georgetown in a little closer game than I think a lot of us expected, um, but it's still a good win for them there. Texas Tech, of course, beat Texas uh, once again in the Frank Irwin Center this time. Um, some of the post-game stuff from some of the Tech fans was pretty hilarious <laughs> um, as the Texas fans were leaving. Lots of horns down, lots of you know breaking out the brooms, sweeping them out of the arena. Um, a lot of Texas Tech fans there in uh, the Frank Irwin Center. I think that's a big reason why Texas is actually downgrading into a smaller arena in the next couple of years. So good to see that for them. Arkansas, kind of a weird game, 58-48, to 48, uh, really low scoring, especially for an SEC bout. Uh, but Arkansas picks up another good win. Eric Musselman's really starting to get this team rolling, um, so good for them and excited to see what happens uh, moving forward there. Murray State escaped a, a, a near uh, – I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, killer loss, but it you know, wouldn't have been good for their at-large case if by some weird possibility they don't make um, they don't make the – or win the OVC. Oh, excuse me. Um, but, yeah, if by some weird chance they don't win the OVC, uh, that loss at UT Martin, 8-20 and 20 UT Martin, could have been detrimental, uh, but they sneak past them by 2, 62-60, uh, continuing their undefeated ra- uh, run through – through the OVC, so good to he- see that. Wyoming, good win uh, at home against Air Force, and then UConn, 
we'll get to that later, but taking care of our Xavier Musketeers, 72-61 there. And then the, the only really big outside of Auburn and Florida, the only other big uh, upset from Saturday was Iowa, 75-62 over Ohio State uh, at the Value City Arena there in Columbus. So really well-handled win for the Hawkeyes and, and really um, bolstering their, their tournament hopes there. Alrighty, into Sunday, Purdue, 12-point win over Rutgers, ending that uh, streak of beating top top teams there for uh, the Scarlet Knights. Um, good, solid win for Purdue there. Like I said earlier, Providence, a one-point win over Butler in overtime. Houston, a two-point win over Wichita State in double OT, and obviously Wisconsin with a 14-point win um, there against Michigan. And then Monday, um, Baylor, a uh, two-point win in overtime. A little, I mean, I kind of flew under the radar. I wasn't really paying attention all of a sudden. Um, Baylor's tight with uh, tight with Oklahoma State. Only 10 points scored between the two teams in overtime, so pretty crazy to see that. Uh, compare that to 17 by Ohio State in overtime against Indiana. That game went to overtime, and they won by 11, um, so shocker there. Um, but Indiana just got their doors blown off there uh, in the overtime period, and Ohio State secures a much-needed win and a really bad loss for Indiana uh, hanging around that bubble there. And then to wrap up tonight's results, Kansas just wrapped up Kansas State 102 to 83. I mean, I don't think you expected much less. Um, UConn in a thrilling matchup at the XL Center, 71 to 69 over Villanova. Um, really great finish there. Um, we'll get to a, a couple more things I want to mention about that one. We'll come back to that one here in just a minute. Texas Tech killed Oklahoma 66-42. Tennessee took care of business over Missouri. Arkansas beat Florida tonight uh, at Florida. Could have been a potential trap game, but nothing to see there. Iowa continues to roll, and Michigan T State continues to slide. Michigan State down to 18-9 now, 9-7 in the Big Ten. Don't want to say bubble, but really sliding hard here at the end of the season. Iowa picks up another big win, 19-8, 86-60, beating uh, the Spartans by 26. All right. Uh, Graham, first of all, I'll let you roll with anything notable from the last week that you wanted to touch on in any of those games. All right, uh, we're going to speed run this as quick as possible. Uh, Wednesday, um, I had a, you know, not a lot, like, happening. So I got to see Auburn, like, play most of that game. They are very good. I would, they are my tournament favorite as of right now. Uh, I also really like Texas Tech. Uh, sneaky past uh, Baylor and, like, dramatic fashion. I mean, they took over the second half. Uh, Rutgers is very hot. They're a tournament lock for me. I'll say it now. Uh, the Lafayette loss, as much as it hurts, uh, I'll take their ranked wins at home and on the road uh, any day. Uh, Alabama, uh, if they want to just keep proving me right, uh, they are not a good basketball team. They've barely snuck by some of the inferior teams that they've played. Um, all season, and while they did get good wins at the start of the season, you know, over like Gonzaga and stuff like that, and Baylor late in the season, uh, they can't beat any good teams in the SEC. 0-2 uh, against um, Kentucky, they have uh, lost to Arkansas, they have two losses to Auburn, and a loss to Georgia. Um, Alabama is not that good, and I don't see them making it to the second game come tournament time once they make it. Uh, UCLA is also one of my tournament hopefuls. Very good. Uh, Well-balanced attack from them uh, from one through the five and off the bench. Love UCLA's team. 
nothing else really on Thursday. On Friday, St. John's, while we were starting to write them off, they have pieced it together. Um, I think that, you know, they have a very good team. I think they're well coached. I don't think they have the resume to get into the tournament, but with the way that the speed and the pace and the tenacity that they've been playing with the past few weeks, and then you add uh, Julian Champagne, who could give you 25-plus every single night, I mean, I would not want to see them in Madison Square Garden. Uh, I could definitely see them stealing a bid, which could really affect the Seton Halls, the Creightons, the Xaviers of the world if we don't start to piece it together. Um, stealing a bid from us. Uh, on Saturday, uh, I liked Santa Clara putting up a fight. Uh, you know, kind of crawling back against Gonzaga. Uh, I think that they're, you know, they they were one of the teams we talked about being a a bid stealer uh, from some of the bigger conferences. I love Florida getting a win. I liked them a lot during early of the season. I really thought that they were going to be something special. Um, so that's a really big win that hopefully can give them some momentum heading into the tournament. Oregon cannot stay irrelevant. Uh, they hung around against Arizona, but I don't uh, see that affecting their season much. Um, Texas Tech owns Texas, uh, which is pretty cool to see, uh, especially after all the you know the building tension this offseason with Chris Beard leaving. Um, I don't understand how Michigan State was still ranked going into this game, but they have been struggling. Um, Illinois is also one of my tournament teams to look for. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about on Saturday. On Sunday, Purdue cannot defend. Um, I do not trust them once tournament time comes. That, that, that's the frustrating thing for me because they were my preseason pick to win the win the whole thing, and I, and I really want to like put all my eggs in one basket on Purdue because I really like their team, but they remind me so much of Iowa from last year. Like, can really score the ball. They can put up 90 points. they got athletes all over the floor. But they cannot defend to save their life. Yeah. I would not, if I was Purdue, and they get like a 2-3 seed, which I, I expect them to be somewhere around there. Uh, depending on the rest of the season, I could definitely see them sneaking into one, but I think it's unlikely. Um, I would hate to be a Purdue fan, and then I have to line up against a very senior-laden graduate laden team that just you know knows the system we don't even dribble the ball we just pass it around like if they play like an experienced offense like they could lose like they could be like the second third seed that loses a game i would not be surprised um we talked about michigan wisconsin earlier on on monday it's really really rooting for oklahoma state yeah. we need that resume to look just a little bit better uh, but they didn't have no, it in them. No, they don't. We want Oklahoma State to look like a better team. We'll oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying for the tournament. I was like, homie, homie, no. No, no. No, no tournament for them this year. But, uh, yes, yeah, I totally agree. No, yeah, you want you want, you want want Oklahoma State to look like a better team for Xavier. Absolutely. Sorry. Not no. was not following. I, I hear you now. Um, and, you know, we could throw everything we've talked about out the window and only talk about Ohio State. <laughs> Michi Bad News Johnson wore a Jason mask. <laughs> Which looks sick, by the way. Yeah, like that straight out of a horror film. He had like the Jason mask that was covering like almost his entire face. Why? How? Who? 
when, where that happens, I am all for it. And that's all I got for you. All right. Thanks for wrapping up the week for us. Um, all right. After all that, r- briefly, um, before we get into the kind of the rest of this, um, I want to talk about Dan Hurley's ejection tonight. As we both agreed before the game or before the pod, and you said uh, before the pod, you know, bleeping hate that guy. He sucks. He got a tech in the game here against Xavier. Um, yeah, don't like the guy. I mean, I we both agree on that. That might have been one of the dumbest technical fouls I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, I understand the context. I understand that he was hyping the crowd up in frustration almost, like to, you know, get riled up towards the refs after the first technical foul. But to give him a tech for hyping up the crowd one way or another is I, I like I have no words. I was watching it live and I was like, wait, hold on, did he just get a tech yeah. for hyping up the crowd? Like, are you kidding me? Um, so yeah, bad call all the way around there. I have always thought that uh, that the coach should not interact with the crowd at all. Mm-hmm. So when okay. when he turns around and he uh, hyping up the crowd, I don't hate it because like. It's not bad. It doesn't really affect the game much. No. I still think it should be frowned upon. But as an outsider, I think that that's a scenario where the ref goes, don't talk, turn around to the crowd, don't instigate any of this, right. and then you move on. Right. Like, I, I really don't understand the technical for that. Yeah. That seems like that could have gone with a warning and we would have been fine. Absolutely. And I, and I think, too, I, I think as the – uh, officials there, you've you've got to look at it from an objective standpoint of like, all right, this is the action that he is making. How is this affecting the game? Because for me, I think yeah, that, 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 that official, as I was going to say, that was an emotional technical foul. Like that was an emo- like the ref was clearly not happy with Hurley. Um, understandably so. I don't know how any ref could really enjoy his presence. Um, but I like just the fact that he got a second technical foul that quickly. And it was in the first half too. Like I just, I, he was like, I guess from my perspective on the outside, like, you know, for the for the officials, like, he was going to shut up. Like, you know, he might have thrown his body around like a four-year-old like he usually does, but he wasn't going to say anything, you know, at least until late in the second half that could possibly get him in trouble. Like, he's – I think Hurley is smart enough and well-rounded enough as a coach to know that he had to shut up at that point. Right. I don't understand why, you know, then him taking out his last bit of frustration there was enough for you to – you know, give him a second technical. So, anyways, all right, we will leave it at that. Next uh, section here that we wanted to go to, we were going to go to, um, let's go to, we're going to go to Joe Lunardi's uh, bracketology. So, he gives, um, just for example, he gives the last four buys, which obviously are the, ne- are the first four that, like, don't have to go to the first four in Dayton, and then the last four in, and the first four out, and the next four out. So, this is as of this morning. Um, we're going to go through and kind of give a quick, like, hey, so do, you, do you think they're in? Do you think they're out? Just for, um, like, confirmation. Yes. For all, for me and for people listening at home. So last four buys are people that they get to go round one of the tournament, don't yes. have to play in. Correct. The la- the first four in would be, like, last I guess, like, in. the favored to be in Dayton. Correct. And yeah, so the last four in are. First four out would be at Dayton but not favored. No, 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 no. The last, the last four in are the four that will go to Dayton. And the two of them will play 
Like, they'll play each other. Okay, okay. So, in this case, let's say Memphis would play Michigan, Indiana would play San Diego State, okay. in theory. And then the first four out of the first four teams that just missed out on the tournament. And then the next four out is obviously the next four after that. Okay. So. Sounds good. All right. All right, so we'll start from let's start from the back. Let's go next for out St. Bonaventure. What do you got for me, Graham? Uh, On the Bonnies. I mean, they were they they're. <laughs> I have not only have I eaten my words. Their expectations were were sky high at the beginning of the year. I have devoured my words, full course meal. Yes. And there are about four crumbs left, and those four crumbs are the little bit of a winning streak that they've built. Um, <coughs> While it is an inferior A-10 conference, they've pieced it together and have won in demanding fashion uh, in the last six games. You know, margins of 15, 7, 4, uh, 13, 15, 23. Like, St. Bonaventure has pieced it together, so I think that's what's got them uh, into, you know, the conversation to be – on the cusp of being in the tournament. Uh, I would not count them out yet just because they have a few big conference games left. And also to add, when, you have, when you're well coached and you have that many um, experienced members of your program there, like what is stopping them from you know, winning the A-10? I mean, the A-10 is not that talented of a conference. It's, mm-hmm. very, it's very easy to uh, sneak by that they've they've pieced it together at the right time. They've had dominant wins. They take care of the ball. They're a very disciplined, experienced team. I could very s- well see them, you know, stealing a bid towards the end of the season. I just don't think that they have the resume to be an at-large bid. Like let's say they get to the A10 championship and they've pieced it together and they look hot. I just don't think that they'll have the resume to compete with like uh, Indiana, right. for example. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think – I just don't think – I mean, Northern Iowa was a really bad loss. Um, you had your chances with UConn and Virginia Tech. Um, you lose a couple chances with a game at Dayton and a game at – excuse me, at George Washington. There could have been some good wins there, both canceled and postponed there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a, a loss at George Mason and at Richmond, like those are – while they are on the road, those are not good teams. Um, so yeah, I just don't think I, I agree with you there. I don't think they have a good case for an at-large if they don't win the A-10. Next, moving on to Oregon, uh, I'll take this one. I think I mean Oregon is out, out, out. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I just don't think they have the games on their schedule um, to even really give them a chance here. I mean, they got UCLA and USC here. I mean, I think you almost. I you don't have say, to win both at I, this point. I mean, it, it's very close. I, w- I don't know if I could say both, but I mean, it's very close to having to win both. Um, and then you absolutely cannot lose either of those at Washington or at Washington State games there at the end. Um, that loss to that crushing loss at Arizona State, eighty-one fifty-seven. I mean, that is so bad, and they lost four by fourteen at home um, to California. So I just there are just too many bad conference losses on there. Um, I mean, losing at Stanford is not good. I mean, they got swept by Arizona State this year. Yeah, there's just too many bad losses. I mean, they got crushed by BYU earlier in the year, which BYU looks like they're falling out of the tournament conversation. I just don't think there's enough here for Oregon uh, to have an at-large. Uh, moving on to Kansas State, 
I think that they are out as well. I think that they have way too many rough patches in their season, and right now they're on a losing skid with getting demolished by Kansas, as we talked about, losing to Oklahoma State. Then you have to play Iowa State and, and at Texas Tech before the tournament. Uh, they also did not take advantage of their non-conference schedule. Uh, all the top teams that you know that you look for for them to get a win to build that resume, they did not take advantage of. I think that they are out. I would agree. I think Oklahoma State was a chance to get a win that, that would look really good on the resume as well as um, Ole Miss. Um, and then obviously losing that one at home to Kansas was a really tough one for them. Um, and then, yeah, like at West Virginia, at Oklahoma, like those are just tough losses to take early. Um, and then, yeah, Marquette is obviously not a great one either. Um, a, a good team in Marquette, um, but they've been skidding as well as of recent. So. Alrighty, moving onward to Florida. Florida really kind of rekindled uh, their case uh, against Auburn on uh, on Saturday, but I still think they're out. Um, a loss versus Texas Southern is woeful, um, as well as just above 500 Maryland. Um, other than that, no really bad losses on the red. Well, at Ole Miss is not good either. Um, but other than that, no really bad losses on there. Um, but yeah, you have to win out, and I, I think. You know, you got at home against Kentucky the last day of the regular season. I think that's almost a must win if you want to be in that conversation. All right, moving to the first four outs. These are the teams that are just barely missing the tournament. Um, a couple that we've already mentioned in BYU, Oklahoma, and Dayton. But also SMU. Graham, why don't you lead us off with SMU? What do you think on their uh, resume? Uh, the Pony Express got a really, really pivotal win uh, recently against Houston. Uh, and then they've got some very good wins um, just dominant fashion against some of the bottom feeders of their conference. Um, but I just don't think that the American has that uh, status this year that you can look at um, look at their whole body of work and say that this is a tournament team over some of the other teams, especially once we get down to like these bid stealers and stuff like that's what that, that's something that I don't think is talked about enough when you talk bubble is that as soon as like there's a fairy tale run of even one conference where there's like a big upset where like an eight, nine, ten seed in that conference, you know, makes a big run and maybe steals the whole thing, that screws up all of these teams. And I just don't think that when you compare SMU to a mid table power six team, that it's even comparable. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that's the same problem that BYU runs into here. Um, just no really big notable wins uh, on the schedule um, for BYU, unfortunately. I mean, obviously the early season win um, against Oregon, uh, that'll help. Um, but a loss at Utah Valley, um, at Creighton, at Vanderbilt, um, and then just some really, really bad conference losses, um, specifically at Pacific. Are like, are you kidding me? Um, the Pacific Tigers are six and thirteen uh, this year, so that's a really bad loss there. Um, or they were at the time of that game. Point being, though, um, and there's just nothing left on the schedule here. I mean, you got LMU and Pepperdine um, left on the schedule. I think you'd have to get, at least get to the nat the national. <laughs> The, uh, the WCC title game to even even be in the conversation there. On the flip side of that, though, Oklahoma, uh, the Sooners, I will th I do think will make the tournament. Um, I do think they have enough here uh, on the resume to uh, uh, command a, uh, a spot in that um, 
in the in the field of 68 here. A loss at Butler or uh, at home against Butler is the only one. Or excuse me, that was a neutral side game. Um, the loss against Butler is the only one that's really, really killer right now. Um, but a 22-point win over Arkansas looks really good on the on the schedule. A big win over Florida looks good. Um, obviously, winning against Iowa State is always helpful. Um, you know, they've taken care of business with West Virginia. They got a huge win against Texas Tech by 15 um, amidst a lot of losses, a lot of conference losses. But that's the thing with the Big 12. None of those are really crazy bad losses. Um, you know, at Oklahoma State was probably a frustrating one. Um, and at home against TCU is a tough one. But I, I do still think they'll eke it out here. I think they'll think they'll win out here to finish the uh, conference play, and I think they'll get themselves and, and win a game or two in the Big 12 tournament to get themselves into that field of 68. Uh, I've been rooting for Oklahoma all season, but I just I don't care who you play. If you go 4-11 in your conference, <laughs> you're scraping 500, I just don't think – that there's world where I see them as a tournament team this year. Yeah, I hear you. Um, looking at the Dayton schedule, uh, I, there is no way that you can tell me you're going to put this team in the NCAA tournament. I don't care that they beat Kansas early on in the season. Um, I don't care that they have a win over Virginia Tech um, or they, that they've played, even that they've played well in the A-10, which they have played really well. They've got wins over VCU, St. Louis, um, Rhode Island, you know, there's some there's some good teams in here that they've beat, um, but you can't tell me that a team with losses to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin P are going to make the NCAA tournament. Like, come on! Like, I understand that was the first that was that was games two, three, and four on their season, but if we're going to really prioritize looking at the whole body of work here, I think we've got to consider that here with the Dayton Flyers. And there's no way you're going to tell me that a 19 and 8 team from the 810 is going to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I completely agree. I just think that um, their only hope is to you know keep riding at their hot train and win their conference tournament. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the last four in here. Um, so these are the four that would be projected to go to Dayton right now is Michigan, Indiana, Memphis, San Diego State. Um, Michigan, I just don't see how like you've got you've got five games left here that are that are pivotal. Uh, you're without your head coach. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you just you know you're playing hot Rutgers tomorrow. You've got Illinois this Saturday, uh, Michigan State, and then Iowa and Ohio State to end the season. I just don't see how the Wolverines are pulling, you know, even three wins out of that out of that stretch of five. Yeah, they have a tough stretch. They're without their coach, and admit all of that, they have not been a good team. I think that those five games without your head coach would be hard to begin with. But what you have not had. A consistent season at all. I do not see them piecing it together in time. Uh, Indiana, to move on, is a very yeah. interesting team. I've loved Indiana at some games, and I've co- scratched my head at other games. Yeah, but I mean, t- losing, losing the last five is a really tough scene for the Hoosiers. Yeah. But uh, to end the season, I would not be surprised to see them as like a 12 seed sneaking in. I think that last four, last four in is a perfect spot for the Hoosiers right now. Yeah, I and, and I totally agree too. Those those last four games that they that they wrap up with, I think it gives them a great opportunity. You got Maryland, Minnesota, and Rutgers, so three games that you got to win. Um, and I think I think they the Hoosiers can take care of business there. Uh, and then you go at Purdue, so you got a chance at a shocking upset. You know, you got your chance at going and getting a statement win and, and near enough securing your spot. Game too. Exactly, and 
thrown out the window in those types of games. Totally. So yeah, that's a chance there to kind of secure your spot in the NCAA tournament. And if you, even if you don't win that game, I still think if you go win a game or two in the Big Ten tournament, I think the Hoosiers will be just fine. And then moving to the last four. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> forgot forgot the last two here on the bottom. We got Memphis and San Diego State as the other two. Memphis is just such a wild card. I don't think they have enough in their resume. Um, a win over you know Alabama to me is not enough as like a, a really you know strong win. Um, they've got losses to Georgia, Ole Miss, Murray State's a good team, but still a bad loss at Tulane, um, UCF, East Carolina. Um, they, I mean, just a lot of really bad teams. They got swept by SMU, which is another. Um, kind of bubble team, and I think unless you win that last game of the season against Houston, I don't think I see the Tigers in the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, as much as it hurts to say, I see this team making the tournament. Really? Just because I think that the talent on their team is will be enough to win them a game or two in the tournament <coughs> and maybe sneak a few in their remaining conference schedule. And to also add, if they end up exactly where they are right now on the bubble, the committee would rather put in a Penny Hardaway-led team with multiple draft lottery picks and recruits coming in than put in the not-as-sexy Dayton Flyers, BYU Cougars, whatever it might be. Um, I see this team getting in on a almost like an asterisk. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I can see I can see where you're coming from there. I I personally don't think it'll happen, but I'll be intrigued to see. And I I think a lot of it depends, obviously, I mean, on the American or If you look at too. in years past, how many times, and maybe I'm just overanalyzing it, but those first four games, like, I always think that it's like the big name conference teams that don't really deserve it, in my opinion. Um, and I think it's very rare that they make a run. It's that the UCLA kind of proved people wrong last year. But I just don't see, like, they don't understand, like, I don't think that they see the appeal of putting in a mid-major when they could put in a sexier Memphis team that's in yeah. the news and headlines and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I agree with that, too, or, or even, like, a, you know, a Big Ten team in, you know, in Indiana or, or someone like that that can, you know, draw a lot of fans to that Dayton um, location for those early games. So, all right, to wrap it up. On those first four or last four in teams, for, um, the San Diego State Aztecs, not a terrible resume here. Um, I really like what they've got going. Um, I think they've got a really good opportunity against uh, going on the road um, to Laramie to play Wyoming um, here this weekend, or excuse me, early next week. I'll be intrigued to see what that brings. I would say that's a that's a winner go home kind of game. I think if you win that, you're in. If you're if you lose that, you have to go really put something solid together in the Mountain West Conference tournament uh, to take care of that. Uh, I've liked this uh, San Diego State team, but the only problem is is their losses are all at the hands of the top dogs of their conference, and I think at the end of the year, that's going to be a problem if they don't beat Wyoming on the road. They've lost to Boise State twice and Colorado State once, uh, which are at one and three in their conference, respectively. I think if they do not get a pivotal, pivotal win against Wyoming, uh, and then I'd say win two of their three remaining uh, the other games, I could see them solidifying their spot as a lock for the tournament, regardless of what happens in 
their Mountain West tournament unless like they win like if they get like blown out in round one. Right. But I just think if they don't beat uh, Wyoming, that their resume is going to look very tough. That they are they aren't able to compete with the top teams <coughs> of their own conference, let yeah. alone the rest of the entire field of sixty-eight. I hear you there. Um, all right, a couple ACC teams in this last four by section. Miami is a really interesting one. Um, I do think they will secure a spot um, and represent uh, the ACC here at twenty and eight. Really solid resume. Um, lost to Dayton early, which again, not the end of the world, but not a great loss. Lost against Alabama, that's never going to kill you. A loss to UCF, that wasn't ideal, but then they really started to string together some big wins. Um, that win at Duke is going to be huge, obviously, on the resume. Um, and then, yeah, only losing to the top teams in the conference, like Florida State, Notre Dame, Virginia. Um, and, yeah, they just got to take care of business down the stretch here, and I think they'll be just fine um, making it into that tournament. And then... Another ACC team that's currently on the bubble that I really – I know it's the brand of North Carolina. I just don't see how – Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like, I look at their schedule. I look at their team. I look at the games that they've played. I don't know how this is, like, a known thing that they're a lock or almost a lock to make the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand a lot of people are going to say, okay, well, how you know, how do you draw the line between Miami and North Carolina? They got the same record, same conference, all that. North Carolina just has way worse losses. Um, I mean, they got killed by Purdue, Tennessee, Kentucky. I know those are all good teams. Um, but then you got killed by Miami, so there's your head-to-head. Um, got destroyed by Wake Forest. And then you lose on your home floor to Pittsburgh. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was there for you. Like you, like North Carolina was starting to string together some wins. A big win at Clemson, um, good win versus Florida State, things like that. They were starting to get it together. And then you lose a detrimental home game to Pittsburgh. If they drop either NC State or Syracuse down the stretch here, I think it's curtains for North Carolina. I think they're going to be spelling an IT. And then obviously you got to go on the road at Duke to finish the season, which. You know, we all know how that's probably going to go. But I think without uh, going 2-1 and one here in their last three, obviously with the loss being at Duke, um, and then, you know, really pulling something together um, in the in the ACC tournament, I don't see uh, North Carolina in, um, in the NCAA tournament this year, unfortunately. Uh, to talk about those ACC teams, uh, I can't see both of them getting it, in my opinion. I, I agree. I think that... Both of them are dependent on how they, they do compared to how they played each other and how they played the mutuals at the top of the ACC. I think that only one of them is going to end up getting in post-tournament. Um, and in my opinion, I think it's going to end up being Miami. Uh, to move on, Creighton Blue Jays. I am almost surprised that they are on the bubble. Uh, watching you know this season, getting up close and personal with the Big East, I've been very impressed with Creighton. I think that they are top to bottom a very good team um, that deserves more attention. I think that this Creighton team is, even as a Xavier fan, if I removed my bias and I was just outside looking in, I would not want to play Creighton. Come tournament time, I think that they're a very good, underappreciated team. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. I think the Big East is kind of underappreciated as a whole, and I think that Creighton team is, is really solid. Um, and then to wrap up on this last, uh, um, excuse me, last four buys, uh, San Francisco, another team that I, I am all in on the Dons. Started 19-0, and 
Um, or excuse me, not 19-1. Sorry, I started 10-0 with uh, losing to Grand Canyon in a killer one-point loss there. That was a really weird game. Um, and then lost to Little Chicago, BYU, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, uh, and then St. Mary's again. So none of those are really killer losses. The only bad one on there is a quad four loss to Portland. Um, I think as long as you take care of business here against San Diego at the end of the season, and I really do. I mean, I've, Graham, I've been telling you, this Thursday matchup coming up here in two days, ESPN2, 9 o'clock, tune in. Gonzaga, got to go on the road to San Francisco. I really think they're going to win this game, secure their tournament hopes, um, and, and really put, put themselves up into the tournament. So I, I like San Francisco going to the tournament. Uh, I do too. I think that they are luck. Um, the only reason I've really been paying attention to San Francisco is just to see how if the West Coast can send three, four teams, possibly even five. I mean, you have five teams on the bubble. I mean, five teams that could very well make it with BYU and Santa Clara kind of bouncing around the bubble right now. Um, I as well as St. Mary's. I mean, you can't forget yeah. St. Mary's as well. I, and Lunari, according to Lunari, they are making it as an at-large. Mm -hmm. But point being that there's multiple teams that the West Coast could send. That would be a big, big push for Gonzaga's stature uh, in the NCAA tournament. I really like San Francisco. I think that they're a very efficient, beautiful offense that uh, I look forward to seeing them in the tournament. Absolutely agree. Um, I think they're definitely a sleeper for an early round upset as well, so that'll be fun to see. All righty, so rolling with the idea of the tournament and what happens, uh, you know, for those teams that are on the bubble that don't make it. Um, I'm gonna really right into my trivia question, Graham. I, I know all of the focus is on the big dance, so this may be a little bit of a trick question, but how many teams make the NIT, the National Invitational Tournament, Graham? Do you know off the top of your head? Thirty-two. Correct. Well done. I, I didn't know if I could trick you there. Maybe maybe get you catch you off guard, but uh, that is correct. Good answer. Good quick answer there for you. So Davidson Wildcat fan. We live on the bubble, so I, I've seen some some good NIT matchups in, in my years. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Uh, okay. So this question is a little bit of a head scratcher, but okay. I feel like. Your extensive knowledge might be able to <laughs> come through on this one. Okay. Uh, you're going to have to give me oh the year and the conference. Okay. This conference and this year sent 11 teams oh to God. the NCAA tournament. What do you got? <coughs> Bless you. Um... So I, here's the thing. I really want to say the Big 12, obviously being a Big 12 stan and, you know, whatever, being a big fan of the Big 12. I just don't remember a time where there were 11 <laughs> teams out of, you know, possibly 12. I think there was one point where there were 14 briefly. But um, considering size and considering, you know, Depth. I'm gonna go with the Big Ten as my conference. I don't. For some reason, I think if I don't want to say it was last year because that seems like too easy of a cop out. But there were a lot of really good Big Ten teams last year. Um, let's go. Let's go with 
the Big Ten in 2019. Evan, I am impressed that you were so close. <laughs> oh, okay. In 2019, the Big Ten sent eight teams. Oh, okay, okay. I, I knew there were a lot of teams that year. Tied for the second most. Okay. That, that, uh, they are among a few that okay, have sent so eight I was teams. Close. Okay. Uh, Who sent 11? Nine bids. It was okay. 2018 ACC, 2017 ACC, 2012 Big East. Okay. But in 2011, Sending 11 out of the 16 teams in their conference, the Big East. Okay. Said so that was one the, seed Pittsburgh, yeah. two seed Notre Dame, Syracuse, UConn, Louisville, West Virginia, Cincinnati, Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova, and Marquette with national champion uh, UConn. I mean, that it doesn't surprise me just because I forgot. I mean, I forgot how extensive that conference was at the time. I mean, there were 16. so. So many, yeah. I mean, sixteen, but just so many good teams in those sixteen. I mean, that that conference was stacked. So that's that's good. All right, that was. A, I love that question. That was a good question. Um, yeah. All right, that was a tough one, but that was a good one. I like that. Alrighty, let's uh, hit it with some picks here to wrap it up tomorrow night. Duke going on the road to Whoville, Charlottesville, uh, at West Virginia, or whoa, at Virginia in the John Paul Jones Arena. Duke minus four and a half. What you got? Uh. I think that Virginia will be acting with desperation, but I just can't see this happening again. Uh, I'll go with Duke by uh, five. Um, I agree with you. I think Duke's going to handle business here. Um, I think Virginia give them a run, but I think they'll pull away late. Uh, give me Duke by eight or eight to ten. TCU going on the road to the Frank, the always empty Frank Irwin Center, um, playing at Texas. Uh, Texas minus eight and a half. It seems like a lot, but I don't know. What do you think, Graham? Uh, I think that TCU might be able to, you know, feel the air, feel the dead air, see a few empty orange seats, and, you know, start to piece it together. I think that TCU will keep it close. Texas will win, but only by one or two possessions. Uh, I agree with you. I think I actually think this Texas skid is going to continue. I'm going to take the Horned Frogs uh, to win this game and obviously cover their, their side of the spread. But I'll take the Horned Frogs to win this one. And then LSU got a tough one here, uh, but possibly a statement to maybe really secure their NCAA tournament hopes. Um, going on the road to Kentucky to Rupp Arena, of course. Uh, UK minus seven and a half. What do you think? Uh, I really like this Kentucky team as of late. It hurts to see Kellen Grady doing so well because I wish he was still in Davidson, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, we could really use his presence right now. But for the time being, I'll have to root for him a little bit. Uh, I see Kentucky winning by 10 or 11. I agree. I think Kentucky will wrap this game up pretty easily um, and take care of business as they have as of recent. Um, and I think you see a, <coughs> I think you see a big a big win here for Kentucky on the stretch. Alrighty, and to wrap it, let's keep this thing under an hour, Graham. Give me the Musketeer minute in an hour or in a minute and 10 seconds. Ready, set, go. Uh, Musketeer minute. You know, we first got to talk about St. John's. Uh, St. John's. A, a tough loss. Yeah, St. John's. Uh, I thought that we played um, one of the best offensive halves that we've played in a while, but at the same time, defense was piss poor. And then you you know you wrap it up into the second half, and you're like, okay, all we have to do is keep that offensive presence or even close to it, and then just you know dial in the defense. But in a drastic turn of events, the offense got worse and the defense got worse. So that's exactly what we did not need. Um, 
But the, my, my main takeaway from that was the fact that uh, our fans really gave up. Uh, students, families, alumni, all leaving um, the arena early. And then the sizable majority of the people that were left were booing. I thought that that was terrible. And I even said to a fan as I was exiting the arena that you shouldn't degrade our players. You should support them. There's plenty of time left. To wrap that into the UConn game, I was very pleased with our effort. Um, I thought that we played well, we worked hard, but just wasn't enough. And I like that slap on the groin because I really am looking forward to this Providence game. I'm really hoping Nate comes back, but if he doesn't, I think we'll still be ready. Uh, we kind of rely on him and we're dependent on him, but I think the guys of Colby, Kunkel, Paul, Jack, Zach have realized that the time is now. We cannot just you know keep just uh, jerking around and hoping that things will fall into place. Things aren't falling into place no matter what we throw at the wall. It's time to lock in, stay true who we are, and get a big win in the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and then come home, beat Seton Hall, and then we're looking smooth for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, it's just a really frustrating loss against St. John's, and I totally agree with you. The, the fans leaving and giving up was really frustrating for me to watch, um, you know, as a as a avid fan myself. Um, so, so disheartening to see that, to say the least. Um, the UConn loss on the road I don't think is a bad loss. Um, I don't think that's going to hurt us. It was really unfortunate to see, you know, Xavier do the typical thing where they go down early, come back, give you this glimmer of hope that, no, oh, maybe this might be the comeback game. And then, of course, um, you know, they – Gamble Pavilion did their thing, and UConn took care of the victory. But obviously, that's you know that was kind of expected. Um, I agree. I think this is a could be a sneaky game for Providence. Um, they showed some signs of vulnerability against um, against Butler, and I do think these guys are going to want revenge. Uh, a buzz, near buzzer beater uh, in the Cintas Center was definitely a disrespectful way to end that game. Um, you know for for those guys, so I think the I think the Musketeers will come out fiery for that one. And then I agree, I think Seton Hall is a must win on Saturday. Gotta protect home court. Gotta, you know, send the fans out with a with a good one. Um, and then you're rolling into just a couple games left. So it'll be interesting to see how the season wraps up for the Musketeers. Um, but yeah, overall I do think lots of positives uh, coming down the stretch here and good good possibilities for uh, some big games for them. All right, to wrap us up, I'm gonna send us home with one of the best quotes that I've heard in the past few weeks. Okay. Be aware of the energy that you bring into the room. No matter if you're discussing the game with your friends, you're going to the game, you're sitting alone uh, in your dorm or your house and you're watching the game on the TV or your phone or wherever it might be, be aware of the energy that you bring into this room. We have the opportunity to turn this program around after some uh, catastrophic failures the past three or four years. This is the time is now. We have all the tools we need. We have the fan base that is yearning for this win uh, tomorrow and for the rest of the season. Just stay positive. Stay true to who we are. We have all the tools we need. There's no time to panic. And have a good night, everybody.